Hey, Drunk Mythology friends. I'm Kate. And I'm Other Jen. And I'm Kim. And we're the... Drunk Dracula Dracula Gals. Gals. Oh, damn. I was close. Kim jumped in. I was like... That's like the razor's edge, man. We almost almost got it Mm -hmm. together. Almost. Kind of like how they almost get it together in (laughs) chapter 25 of Bram Stoker's Dracula. That's a smooth segue. That's what we call it in broadcasting. (laughs) Nice. Nice. I don't even know anymore, but... Yeah. But before we jump in, I just want to make a quick note. I know a lot of people listen to us on Apple Podcasts, and we love that. And just so you know, though, um, you might want to give our social media a try because we're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And I make custom artwork for every single episode. She does. It's amazing. Yeah, they are hysterical. And there's always an inside joke. So, you know, you got to listen to the episode. And then you get the joke. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, go check us out. Um, I'll put our socials in the episode notes. Um, but yeah, just look up Drunk Mythology Gals. You'll find us. Anyway, just wanted to leave that out there. So yeah. where are we? Where are we today? I'm yeah. sorry? Where are we where headed? Are we, where are we off to? Uh, actually, uh, to Varna, I guess. Oh, but I wow. don't think we've left Varna, yet for Var- Varna yet. We're still in England. So we're... Oh. I don't okay. know. We'd let Van Helsing get the tickets. Damn it. There's no Damn telling it. where we're going, right? <laughs> Maybe we'll end up on a train to Bistritz. <laughs> All right. Well, here we go wherever the fuck we're going. Who was angry about last chapter? Me. Me. Yeah. <laughs> Because you know what? For chapter 25, surprise, the guys find yet another excuse to keep Mina out of the loop because that has worked out oh so well up to now. Anyway, thank fuck we're down to just one goddamn box, but now we're back to shipping logistics because fascinating. (laughs) Honestly, someone needs to write a version of Dracula from the perspective of all the workers who get interviewed because they're the only ones who who seem to have any common sense. Also, can Van Helsing please make up his mind whether the Count is a man-child or a tiger? They all make travel plans and want to leave Mina behind, but she's like, guys, do you not get it yet? Van Helsing agrees, but only because she's their shortwave radio for spying on the Count. So now we're off to Transylvania again. Carry on. Dr. Seward's Diary, 11 October, evening. Jonathan Harker has asked me to note this as he says he is hardly equal to the task and he wants an exact record kept. I mean, he is a delicate flower. He is. Yeah. Um, And I think this is in the the phonograph, I think. Um, But relevant later. Sorry. Tangent. Back on track. (laughs) I think that none of us were surprised when we were asked to see Mrs. Harker a little before the time of sunset. We have of late come to understand that sunrise and sunset are to her times of peculiar freedom when her old self can be manifest without any controlling force subduing or restraining her or inciting her to action. This mood or condition begins some half hour or more before actual sunrise or sunset and lasts till either the sun is high or whilst the clouds are still aglow with the rays streaming above the horizon. 
At first, there is a sort of negative condition, as if some tie were loosened and then the absolute freedom quickly follows. When, however, the freedom ceases, the change back or relapse comes quickly, preceded only by a spell of warning silence. Tonight, when we met, she was somewhat constrained and bore all the signs of an internal struggle. I put it down myself to her, making a violent effort at the earliest instant she could do so. A very few minutes, however, gave her complete control of herself. Then, motioning her husband to sit beside her on the sofa where she was half reclining, she made the rest of us bring chairs up close. Taking her husband's hand in hers, she began. We are all here together in freedom, perhaps for the last time. I know, dear. I know that you'll always be with me to the end. This was to her husband, whose hand had, as we could see, tightened upon hers. In the morning, we go out upon our task, and God alone knows what may be in store for any of us. You're going to be so good to me as to take me with you. I know that... I know, all, I can't even say this. I know that all brave, earnest men can do for a poor, weak woman whose soul perhaps is lost. No, no, not yet. But is at any rate, is it steak? Get it? Oh. Steak? Oh. You will do. Oh, but you must remember that I am not as you are. There is a poison in my blood, in my soul, which may destroy me, which must destroy me, and some, unless some relief comes to us. Oh, my friends, you know as well as I do that my soul is at steak. Damn, Bram. Bram. <laughs> Maybe and that's though, our dream. <laughs> and though I know there's only one way out for me, you must not, and I must not take it. She looked appealingly to us all in turn, beginning and ending with her husband. Van Helsing asked in a hoarse voice. Because I have done so much speaking. <laughs> what is that way? What is that way which we must not, nay, may not take? That I may die now, either by my own hand or that of another, before the greater evil is entirely wrought. I know, and you know, that were I once dead, you could and would set free my immortal spirit, even as you did my poor Lucy's. Were death or the fear of death the only thing that stood in the way, I would not shrink to die here, now, amidst the friends who love me. But death is not all. I cannot believe that to die in such a case, when there's hope before us, and a bitter task to be done, is God's will. Therefore... I, on my part, give up the certainty of eternal rest and go out into the dark where maybe the blackest things that the world or netherworld holds. We were all silent, for we knew instinctively that this was only a prelude. The faces of the others were set, and Harker's grew ashen gray. Perhaps he guessed better than any of us what was coming. She continued, This is what I give into the hotchpot. Jen, would you like to explain what that means before we go on? I had to Google it. In civil and property law, hotchpot is the blending, combining, or offsetting of property to ensure equality of a later division of property. That's like whatever. Hodgepodge. Yeah. So okay. Wikipedia, again, so take this, it with a grain of salt. This is what she's throwing in the pot, basically, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I could not but note the quaint legal phrase which she used in such a place and with all seriousness. She quickly went on. What will each of you give? Your lives, I know. That's easy for brave men. Your lives are gods and you can give them back to him. But what will you give to me? She looked again questioningly, but this time avoided her husband's face. Quincy seemed to understand. He nodded and her face lit up. 
Then I shall tell you plainly what I want, for there must be no doubtful matter in this connection between us now. You must promise me, one and all, even you, my beloved husband, that should the time come, you will kill me. Uh, uh, what is that time? When you shall be, what time is it right now? When you shall be convinced that I am so changed that it's better that I die than I may live. When thus I am dead in the flesh, then you will, without a moment's delay, drive a stake through me and cut off my head and do whatever else may wanting to give me rest. Don't forget the garlic. (laughs) Quincy was the first to rise after the pause. He knelt down before her and taking her hand in his said solemnly, Do I have to wait until you're dead? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm only a rough fella who hasn't perhaps lived as a man should to win such a distinction. But I swear to you, but all that I hold sacred and dear, that should the time ever come, I shall not flinch from the duty that you have set us. And I promise you, too, that I shall make certain. For if I am only doubtful, I shall take it that time, the time has come. My true friend... This was, my <laughs> this was all she could say amidst her fast falling tears as bending over she kissed his hand uh, I swear to say my dear madamina <laughs> drink, drink. <laughs> Lord Godalming also assented each of them in turn kneeling to her to take the oath I followed myself then her husband turned to her, wan-eyed and with a greenish pallor, which subdued the snowy whiteness of his hair, and asked, And must I, too, make such a promise, O oh, my wife? You too, my dearest. This she said with infinite yearning of pity in her voice and eyes. You must not shrink. You are nearest and dearest in all the world to me. Our souls are knit into one for all life and all time. Think, dear, there have been times when brave men have killed their wives and their womenkind to keep them from falling into the hands of the enemy. Their hands did not falter any more because those that they loved implored them to slay them. It's the men's duty towards those they love in such times of sore trial. And, oh, my dear, if it is to be that I must meet death at any hand, let it be of the hand of him that loves me best. Dr. Van Helsing, I have not forgotten your mercy in poor Lucy's case to him who loved. She stopped with a flying blush and changed her phrase. Oops. To uh, (laughs) him who had best right to give her peace. Let's put it that way. If that time (laughs) shall come again, I look to you to make it a happy memory of my husband's life, that it was his loving hand which set me free from the awful thrall upon me. Uh, Of course. Again, I swear, because you know that is the way to make a man's life happy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Mrs. Harker smiled, positively smiled, as with a sigh of relief, she leaned back and said, And now one word of warning, a warning which you must never forget. This time, if it ever come, may come quickly and unexpectedly. And in such case, you must lose no time in using your opportunity. At such a time, I myself be... Might be, nay, if the time ever comes, shall be leagued with your enemy against you. Uh, One more request. She became very solemn as she said this. It is not vital and necessary like the other, but I want you to do one more thing for me, if you will. We all acquiesced, but no one spoke. There was no need to speak. I want you to read the burial service. She was interrupted by a deep groan from her husband. Taking his hand in hers, she held it over her heart 
and continued. You must read it over me someday. Whatever may be the issue of all this fearful state of things, it'll be a sweet thought to all or some of us. You, my dearest, will, I hope, read it, for then it'll be your voice in my memory forever, come what may. But, oh, my dear one, death is afar off from you. Have you not heard a single word I fucking just said? (laughs) (laughs) Holding up a warning hand, she replied. Nay, I am deeper in death at this moment than if the weight of an earthly grave lay heavily upon me. Oh, my wife, must I read it? It Because it's all about me. You're right. (laughs) It would comfort me, my husband. This was all she said. And he began to read when she had got the book ready. How can I, how could anyone tell of that strange scene, its solemnity, its gloom, its sadness, its horror, and withal its sweetness? Even a skeptic who can see nothing but a travesty of bitter truth in anything holy or emotional would have been melted to the heart had he seen that little group of loving and devoted friends kneeling round that stricken and sorrowing lady. Try me. Or or heard the tender passion of her husband's voice as in tones so broken with emotion that often he had to pause He read the simple and beautiful service from the burial of the dead. I I cannot go on. Words and, and voice fail me. She was right in her instinct. Strange as it all was, bizarre as it may hereafter seem, even to us who felt its potent influence at the time, It comforted us much, and the silence which showed Mrs. Harker's coming relapse from her freedom of soul did not seem so full of despair to any of us as we had dreaded. All right. So basically, they just read her funeral rites, even though Mm -hmm. she's not dead yet. Correct. Got it. Okay. Because, you you know, why waste time? Right. (laughs) For a change. It is better to be prepared, huh? (laughs) Okay. Jonathan Harker's journal. Let's hear his side of this. 15 October. Varna. I'm sure it's going to be clear-eyed and, you know, not <laughs> unemotional. <of> <laughs> no wishy-washy. <laughs> we left Caring Cross on the morning of the 12th, got to Paris the same night, and took the places secured for us in the Orient Express. Cool. We traveled. Oh, Kate, add that to our list of places to visit. We want to take a ride on the Orient Express. Yeah. Who doesn't. We traveled night and day, arriving here at about five o'clock. Lord Godalming went to the consulate to see if any telegram had arrived for him whilst the rest of us came on to this hotel, the Odessus. The journey may have had incidents. I was, however, too eager to get on to care for them. Until the Tsarina Catherine comes into port, there will be no interest for me in anything in the wide world. Thank God, Mina is well and looks to be getting stronger. Her color is coming back. She sleeps a great deal. Throughout the journey, she slept nearly all the time. Before sunrise and sunset, however, she is very wakeful and alert. Oh my God, she's a cat. She sounds like my dogs. (laughs) (laughs) And it has become a habit for Van Helsing to hypnotize her at such times. At first, some effort was needed and he had to take many passes. But now she seems to yield at once as if by habit 
and scarcely any action is needed. He seems to have power at these particular moments to simply will, and her thoughts obey him. He always asks her what she can see and hear. She answers to the first. Nothing. All is dark. And to the second. I can hear waves lapping against the ship and the water rushing by. Canvas and cordage strain and masts and yards creak. The wind is high. I can hear it in the shrouds. The bow throws back the foam. It is evident that the Tsarina Catherine is still at sea, hastening on her way to Varna. Lord Godalming has just returned. He had four telegrams, one each day since we started, and all to the same effect, that the Tsarina Catherine had not been reported to Lloyd's from anywhere. He had arranged before leaving London that his agent should send him every day a telegram saying if the ship if the ship had been reported. He was to have a message even if she were not reported, so that he might be sure that there was a watch being kept at the other end of the wire. We had our dinner and went to bed early. Tomorrow we are to see the vice-consul and to arrange, if we can, about getting on board the ship as soon as she arrives. Van Helsing says that our chance will be to get on the boat between sunrise and sunset. The Count, even if he takes the form of a bat, cannot cross the running water of his own volition and so cannot leave the ship. As he dare not change to man's form without suspicion, which he evidently wishes to avoid, he must remain in the box. If, then, we can come on board after sunrise, he is at our mercy, for we can open the box and make sure of him, as we did of poor Lucy, before he wakes." What mercy he shall get from us will not count for much. We think that we shall not have much trouble with officials or the seamen. Thank God this is the country where bribery can do anything, and we are well supplied with money. We have only to make sure that the ship cannot come into port between sunset and sunrise without our being warned, and we shall be safe. Judge Moneybag will settle this case, I think. Okay. <laughs> 16 October. Mina's report, still the same. Lapping waves and rushing water, darkness and favoring winds. We are evidently in good time, and when we hear the, of the Tsarina Catherine, we shall be ready. As she must pass the Dardanelles, we are sure to have some report. 17 October. Everything is pretty well fixed now, I think, to welcome the Count on his return from his tour. Godalming told the shippers that he fancied that the box sent aboard might contain something stolen from a friend of his, and got a half-consent that he might open it at his own risk. The owner gave him a paper telling the captain to give him every facility in doing whatever he chose on board the ship, and also a similar authorization odd spelling, to his agent at Varna. We've seen the agent, who was much impressed with Godalming's kindly manner to him. Cha-ching! <laughs> exactly. And we are all satisfied that whatever he can do to aid our wishes will be done. We have already arranged what to do in case we get the box open. If the count is there, Van Helsing and Seward will cut off his head at once and drive a stake through his heart. What about the garlic? They keep forgetting the garlic. <laughs> right? Morris and Godalming and I shall prevent interference, even if we have to use the arms which we shall have ready. The professor says that if we can so treat the Count's body, it will soon after 
fall into dust. In such case, there would be no evidence against us in case any suspicion of murder were aroused. This would be four bodies, right? Uh, four dead people? think so. Yeah. But even if we were not, we should stand or fall by our act, and perhaps someday this very script may be evidence to come between some of us and a rope. But Lucy's body didn't fall to dust. Right. Because she wasn't completely a vampire, according to them. Right. Because they released her soul to Uh, to heaven. Okay. For myself, splitting hairs, but go ahead. (laughs) For myself, I should take the chance only too thankfully if it were to come. We mean to leave no stone unturned to carry out our intent. We have arranged with certain officials that the instant the Tsarina Catherine is seen, we are to be informed by a special messenger. 24 October. We skipped a bunch of days. A whole week of waiting. Daily telegrams to Godalming, but only the same story. Not yet reported. Mina's morning and evening hypnotic answer is unvaried. Lapping waves, rushing water, creaking masts. (laughs) Telegram, 24 October. Rufus Smith, Lloyd's London, to Lord Godalming, care of HBM Vice Council Varna. Tsarina Catherine reported this morning from the Dardanelles. Ooh. Dr. Seward's Diary, 25 October. How I miss my phonograph. To write diary with a pen is irksome to me. Like a savage. (laughs) So primitive. But Van Helsing says I must. We were all wild with excitement yesterday when Godalming got his telegram from Lloyd's. I know now what men feel in battle when the call to action is heard. Do you? (laughs) Let him have his moment. (laughs) (laughs) Mrs. Harker, alone of our party, did not show any signs of emotion. After all, it is not strange that she did not, for we took special care not to let her know anything about it, and we all tried not to show any excitement when we were in her presence. In old days, she would, I am sure, have noticed, no matter how we might have tried to conceal it, but in this way, she is greatly changed during the past three weeks. The lethargy grows upon her, and though she seems strong and well and is getting back some of her color— Van Helsing and I are not satisfied. We talk of her often. We have not, however, said a word to the others. It would break poor Harker's heart, certainly his nerve, if he knew that we had even a suspicion on the subject. Van Helsing examines, he tells me, her teeth very carefully whilst she is in the hypnotic condition, for he says that so long as they do not begin to sharpen, there is no active danger of a change in her. If this change should come, it would be necessary to take steps. We both know what those steps would have to be, though we do not mention our thoughts to each other. We should neither of us shrink from the task, awful though it be to contemplate. Euthanasia is an excellent and a comforting word. I am grateful to whoever invented it. Wow. It is only yeah, it's like okay. It is only about twenty-four hours sail from the Dardanelles to here, at the rate the Tsarina Catherine has come from London. She should therefore arrive sometime in the morning. 
but as she cannot possibly get in before then, we are all about to retire early. We shall get up at one o'clock so as to be ready. 25 October. Noon. No news yet of the ship's arrival. Mrs. Harker's hypnotic report this morning was the same as usual, so it is possible that we may get news at any moment. We men are all in a fever of excitement. Except Harker, who was calm. His hands are cold (laughs) as ice, and an hour ago I found him wetting the edge of the great Gorka Gorka knife, which he now always carries with him. It will be a bad lookout for the Count if the edge of that Kukri... These Mm -hmm. words, I don't know these words. Kukri is a great big knife. Okay, if ever the edge of that Kukri ever touches his throat, driven by that stern, ice-cold hand... It will cut. It will cut. It will cut. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Van Helsing and I were a little alarmed about Mrs. Harker today. About noon, she got into a sort of lethargy, which we did not like. Although we kept silence to the others. We were neither of us happy about it. She had been restless all the morning so that we were at first glad to know that she was sleeping. When, however, her husband mentioned casually that she was sleeping so soundly that he could not wake her, we went to her room to see for ourselves. She was breathing naturally and looked so well and peaceful that we agreed that the sleep was better for her than anything else. Poor girl, she has so much to forget that it is no wonder that sleep, if it brings oblivion to her, does her good. If anybody watched me in my sleep as much as they watch Mina, I'd be filing charges. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Later, our opinion was justified, for when after a refreshing sleep of some hours she woke up, she seemed brighter and better than she had been for days. At sunset, she made the usual hypnotic report wherever he may be in the Black Sea, the Count is hurrying to his destination, to his doom, I trust. Ha ha! 26 October. Another day, and no tidings of the Tsarina Catherine. She ought to be here by now. That she is still journeying somewhere is apparent, for Mrs. Harker's hypnotic report at sunrise was still the same. It is possible that the vessel may be lying by at times for fog. Some of the steamers which came in last evening reported patches of fog both to north and south of the port. We must continue our watching as the ship may now be signaling any moment. 27 October. Noon. I'm starting to think Bram had a minimum word count that he's trying to reach with this. Like Dickens paid by the penny. Yeah. (laughs) Most strange. No news yet of the ship we wait for. Mrs. Harker reported last night and this morning, as usual. Lapping waves, rushing water. Though she added... The waves are very faint. The telegrams from London have been the same. No further report. Van Helsing is terribly anxious and told me just now that he fears the Count is escaping us. He added significantly, I did not like that lethargy of Madame Mina's. Souls and memories can do strange things during trance. I was about to ask him more, but... Harker just then came in, and he held up a warning hand. We must try tonight at sunset to make her speak more fully when in her hypnotic state. 28 October. Telegram, Rufus Smith, London, to Lord Godalming, HBM Vice Consul Varna. Tsarina Catherine reported entering 
Galatz at one o'clock today. Whoa, that's awful. Bam, bam. Dr. Seward's diary, 28 October. When the telegram came announcing the arrival in Galatz, I do not think it was such a shock to any of us as might have been expected. True, we did not know whence or how or when the bolt would come, but I think we all expected that something strange would happen. The delay of arrival at Varna made us individually satisfied that things would not be just as we had expected. We only waited to learn where the change would occur. Nonetheless, however, was it a surprise. I suppose that nature works on such a a hopeful basis that we believe against ourselves that things will be as they ought to be, not as we should know that they will be. Transcendentalism is a beacon to the angels, even if it be a will-o'-the-wisp to man. It was an odd experience, and we all took it differently. Van Helsing raised his hand over his head for a moment as though in remonstrance with the Almighty, but he said not a word. No! What? What? (laughs) And in a few seconds stood up with his face sternly set. Lord Godalming grew very pale and sat breathing heavily. (laughs) I was myself half stunned and looked in wonder at one after another. Quincy Morris tightened his belt with that quick movement, which I knew so well. In our old wandering days, it meant action. Mrs. Harker grew ghastly white so that the scar on her forehead seemed to burn, but she folded her hands meekly and looked up in prayer. Harker smiled, actually smiled, the dark, bitter smile of one who is without hope, But at the same time, his action belied his words, for his hands instinctively sought the hilt of the great kukri knife and rested there. You okay, Jonathan? (laughs) (laughs) Babe? (laughs) When does the the next train start for Galatz? At 6.30 tomorrow morning. We all started, for the answer came from Mrs. Harker. How on earth do you know? asked Art. You forget, or perhaps you do not know, though Jonathan does, and so does Dr. Van Helsing, that I am a train fiend. At home in Exeter, I always used to make up timetables so as to be helpful to my husband. I found it so useful sometimes that I always make a study of the timetables now. I knew that if anything were to take us to Castle Dracula, we should go by Gallitz, or at any rate through Bucharest. So I learned the times very carefully. Unhappily, there are not too many to learn, as the only train tomorrow leaves as I said. Wonderful woman, murmured the professor. Yeah, she, she can read. Congratulations. <laughs> Can't we get a special? asked Lord Godalming. Van Helsing shook his head. I fear not. This land is very different from yours or mine. Even if we did have a special, it would probably not arrive as soon as our regular train. Moreover, we have something to prepare. We must think. Now let us organize. You, friend Arthur, go to the train and get the tickets and arrange that all be ready for us to go in the morning. Do you, friend Jonathan, go to the agent of the ship and get from him the letters? 
to the agent in Galat, with authority to make search of the ship just as it were here. Maurice Quincy, you see the vice consul and get his aid with his fellow in Galat, and all he can do to make our way smooth so that no time be lost when we over the Danube. John will stay with Madame Mina and me, and we shall consult. For so if time be long, you may be delayed, and it will not matter when the sun set, since I am here with Madame to make report. Then Mrs. Harker spoke brightly and more like her old self than she had been for many a long day. And I shall try to be of use in all ways and shall think and write for you as I used to do. Something is shifting for me in some strange way and I feel freer than I have been of late. She unlaced her corset, I think is what happened. <laughs> <laughs> the three younger men looked happier at the moment as they seemed to realize the significance of her words. But Van Helsing and I, turning to each other, met each a grave and troubled glance. We said nothing at the time, however. When the three men had gone out to their tasks, Van Helsing asked Mrs. Harker to look up the copy of the diaries and find him the part of Harker's journal at the castle. She went away to get it. When the door was shut upon her, he said to me, We mean the same. Speak out. There is some change. It is a hope that makes me sick, for it may deceive us. Quite so. Do you know why I asked her to get the manuscript? No, I said, unless it was to get an opportunity of seeing me alone. <laughs> you are in part right, friend Jean. But only in part. I Aww. want to tell you something. And oh, my friend, I am taking a great, a terrible risk, but I believe it is right. In the moment when Madame Mina said those words that uh, arrest both our understanding, an inspiration came to me. In the trance of three days ago, the Count sent her his spirit to read her mind, or more like he took her to see him in the earth box of the ship with the water rushing, just as it go free at rise and set of sun. He learns then that we are here, for she have more to tell in her open life with eyes to see and ears to hear than he, shut as he is in his coffin box. Now he make his most effort to escape us. At present, he want her not. He is sure with his so great knowledge that she will come at his call, but he cut her off, take her as he can do out of his own power, so that she come not to him. Ah, there, I have hoped at our man-brains... <laughs> really you have hope in the man brains okay that have been of man so long and that have not lost grace of god will come higher than his child brains that lie in the tomb for centuries that grow not yet to our stature and do only work selfish and therefore small here comes madame mina not a word to her of her trance she know she know it not and it would overwhelm her and make her despair just when we want all her hope all her courage when most we want all her great brain, which is trained like a man's brain, <laughs> but is of a sweet woman and have special power which the Count give her and which he may not take away altogether, so he think it not so. Hush, let me speak and you shall learn. Oh, John, my friend, we are in awful straits. I fear as I have never feared before. We can only trust the good God. Silence, here she comes. I thought that the professor was going to break down and have hysterics just as he had when Lucy died, but with a great effort he controlled himself and was at perfect nervous poise when Mrs. Harker tripped into the room bright and happy looking and in the doing of work seemingly forgetful of her misery. As she came in, she handed a number of sheets of typewriting to Van Helsing. He looked over them gravely, his face brightening up as he read. Then... 
Holding the pages between his finger and thumb, he said, Friend John, to you with so much of experience already, and you too, dear Madame Mina, that, (laughs) that are young, here is a lesson. Do not fear ever to think. A half-thought has been buzzing often in my brain, but I fear to let him loose with his wings. Here now, with more knowledge, I go back to where that half-thought come from, and I find that he be no half-thought at all. That be a whole thought. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's so young that he is not yet strong to use his little wings. Oh, my God. Nay, like the ugly duck of my friend Hans Andersen, the same guy who wrote The Little Mermaid. eh? Yay! He be no duck, the duck thought at all, but big swan thought that sailed nobly on big... (laughs) What the fuck is he going on about? When's the time come for him to try them? See, I read here what Jonathan has written. That other of his race, who in later age again and again brought his forces over the great river into Turkey land, who, when he was beaten back, came again and again and again, though he had come alone from the bloody field where his troops were being slaughtered, since he knew that he alone could ultimately triumph. All right. So is it a duck or a swan or a turkey? It's a turducken. (laughs) I think you're right. What does this tell us? Aside that I do a really excellent Jonathan Arco accent, huh? Not much, no. The Count's child thought see nothing, therefore he speaks so free. Your man thought see nothing, my man thought see nothing till just now. No, but uh, there comes another word from someone who speak without thought because she too not there, know not what it mean, what it might mean. I don't even know what it mean. Just as there are elements which rest yet when in nature's course they move on their way and they touch, then poof, and there comes a... What <laughs> the oh, fuck is he getting at? <laughs> He's talking about lightning? I don't know. There comes a flash of light heaven-wide that blind and kill and destroy some, but that show up all earth below for leagues and leagues. Is it not so? Well, I shall explain. <laughs> oh, good. Please do explain. <laughs> I, I'm having flashbacks to what was it, 14 or 15? <laughs> to begin, have you ever studied the philosophy of crime? Yes. Oh, this is I- a perfect time for a tangent. Please do go on. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes and no. You, Jean, yes, for it is a study of insanity. You, no, Madame Mina, for crime touch you not, not but once. Still, your mind works true and argues not a particulary ad universale. Ah, oh, God. There is per- this peculiarity in criminals. It is so constant in all countries and at all times that even police who know not much from philosophy come to know it empirically that it is, that is to be empiric. Okay. The criminal always work one at one crime. That is a true criminal who seems to predestinate to crime and who will of none other. This criminal has not full man brain. Ugh. <sighs> He is clever and cunning and resourceful, but he be not of man's stature as to brain. He is be of child brain in much. Now, this criminal of ours predestinate to crime also. He too have child brain, and it is of the child brain to do what he have done. The little bird, the little fish, the little animal learn not by principle, but empirically. And when he learned to do, there is to him the ground to start from to do more. Dos pusto, said Archimedes. <laughs> Give me a fulcrum and I shall move the world. To do once 
is the fulcrum whereby the child brain becomes man brain. And until you have purpose to do more, you continue to do the same again every time, just as you have done before. Oh, my dear, I see that your eyes are open. <laughs> and then you use a lightning flash to show other leagues. For Mrs. Harker began to clap her hands and her eyes sparkled. He went on. She's clearly possessed. <laughs> <laughs> now you should speak. Tell us two dry men of science what you see with those so bright eyes. He took her hand and held it whilst she spoke. His finger and thumb closed on her pulse, as I thought instinctively and unconsciously, as she spoke. The Count is a criminal and of criminal type. Nordau and Lombroso would so classify him, and qua criminal, he is of imperfectly formed mind. Thus, in a difficulty, he has to seek resource in habit. His past is a clue, and the one page of it that we know, and from his own lips, tell us that once before, when in what Mr. Morris would call a tight place, he went back to his own country (laughs) from the land he had tried to invade, and thence, without losing purpose, prepared himself for a new effort. He came again better equipped for his work, and he won. So he came to London to invade a new land. He was beaten, and when all hopes of success were lost and his existence in danger, he fled back over the sea to his home, just as formerly he'd fled back over the Danube from Turkey land. Ah, good, good, you so clever, lady. Van Helsing was enthusiastic as he stooped and kissed her hand. A moment later, he said to me, as calmly as though we had been having a sick room consultation, 72 only, and in all this excitement, I have hope. Turning to her again, he said with keen expectation, But go on, go on! There is more to tell if you will. Be not afraid, John and I know. I do in any case, and shall tell you if you are right. Speak without fear. I will try to, but you'll forgive me if I seem egotistical. No, I am egotistical. You're not. <laughs> you may be egoist, for it is that of you that we think. Then, as he is a criminal, he is selfish, and as his intellect is small and his action is based on selfishness, he confines himself to one purpose. That purpose is remorseless. As he fled back over the Danube, leaving his forces to be cut to pieces, so now he's intent on being safe, careless of all. So his own selfishness frees my soul somewhat from the terrible power which he acquired over me on that dreadful night. I felt it. Oh, I felt it. Thank God for his, felt something, but his great mercy. My soul is freer than it has been since that awful hour. And all that haunts me is a fear, lest in some trance, a dream, he may have used my knowledge for his ends. The professor stood up. He has so used your mind, and by it he has left us here in Varna, whilst the ship that carried him rushed through the enveloping fog up to Galatz, where doubtless he has made preparation for escaping from us. But his child mind only saw so far, and it may, may be that, as ever is in God's providence, that the very thing that the evildoer most reckoned on for his selfish good turns out to be his chiefest harm. Ha <laughs> ha! The hunter is taken in his own snare, as the great psalmist says. The psalmist for, doesn't say that. <laughs> I didn't think he did. For now that he think he is free from every trace of us all, that he has escaped us with so many hours to him, then his selfish child brain will whisper him to sleep. He think too that as he cut himself off from knowing your mind, there can be no knowledge of him to you. 
There is where he fell. That terrible baptism of blood which he give you makes you free to go to him in spirit as you have yet done in times of freedom. When the sun rise and set, at such times you go by my volition and not his, and this power to good of you and others, and you have won from your suffering at his hands. This is now all the more precious that he know it not, and to guard himself have even cut himself off from his knowledge of our where." We, however, are not selfish, are you sure? And we believe that God is with us through all this blackness and that and these many dark hours. We shall follow him and we shall not flinch, even if we peril ourselves that we become like him. Friend John, there has been a great hour and it has done much to advance us on our way. You must be scribe and write him all down so that when the others return from their work, you can give it to them and they shall know what to do if they can understand whatever the fuck I have said. And so I have written it whilst we wait their return. And Mrs. Harker has written with her typewriter all since she brought the manuscript to us. And that, I think, is where we will stop for today. Oof. So, wow. Yeah. I don't even know what to make of this. So what do you make of that last big uh, speech where the lightning struck? Uh, I I think he's he's trying to... He's talking about the the flash of inspiration. Yeah. Ah, yes. Okay. And and he's trying. You know, it's kind of like nineteenth the nineteenth century thought phrenology was like the shit. And he's trying to apply very rudimentary criminal psychology, Mm -hmm. except that's not how you criminal psychology. Yeah, I mean, I know, you know, I know somehow it's racist. I just can't quite figure out how. Well, it's not so much racist as it's um it's assuming you know, they they assumed there was only one real form of intelligence, that it was book smart, you know, and book smart meant socioeconomic access to book mm-hmm. smart. Man brain. Mm-hmm. Yes, man brain. Okay. So 19th century white man brain was the standard, assuming that that man brain had access to education. Now, if they Their education. Yeah. So, you know, even Van Helsing, like, gets a, you know, he, uh, Stoker gets, like, little digs in him, at him. But, uh, yeah, this is just bullshit, you know, faux psychology measured mm-hmm. by the wrong stick oh, yeah <laughs> and no carrots You're uh, yeah. so so basically the yeah. whole thing was they figured out that he went back to his his castle yeah i mean they yeah mina mina does get should get credit because she was like oh okay so he's a creature of habit now mm-hmm. that's a behavioral observation that is it makes sense. It's based on history. It has evidence. It's show. It's being borne out by what's happening. Like, right. honestly, Team Mina, yeah. all the way, all the way. All right. <laughs> so, what do we got? What do we have to look forward to as we draw ever closer to the end? Well, <laughs> surprise! Harker does some really boring interviews. Oh. You know what? That man needs a break. Let him do a boring interview. Yeah. <laughs> Mina channels other Jen and basically sets up a spreadsheet. <gasps> and oh. Van Helsing takes all the credit. Kelsey oh, that motherfucker. 
Damn it. I simply cannot wait. And don't forget to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash drunkmythologygals. Yes, for the month of October, which is coming to a close here, we have the $1 Drunk Dracula Gals tier. You can get all of these Dracula episodes as soon as they're done producing. And you also get access to all of our other Lit Crit Hour episodes. That's right. Thanks again for joining us. Please subscribe, leave a rating or review, and tell your friends and family about us, especially if they're like, you know, I there was this big flash in the sky and then I got this sudden insight that, you know, the way I've been thinking is all wrong. I really need to start thinking like a 19th century Englishman. <laughs> Finally, always remember, if the undead can behave badly, then so can you. Yeah.